millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, should Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang stay as Arsenal's captain? Manchester United aren't quite at their brilliant best. Should we expect more of it? Will Billy Gilmore or Conor Gallagher get a chance for Chelsea? We'll look back at some of the penalties awarded in the Premier League this weekend and play pen or no pen. We'll also discuss the Africa Cup of Nations. This is The Game. Hello and welcome back to the Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Alison Rudd, James Restall and Tom Clark today. Loads for us to get through. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking about the, the many, many penalties in the Premier League. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Chelsea's youngsters who are great this weekend, AFCON as well, and silly red cards. But I wanted to begin uh, today's podcast by discussing Arsenal, in particular their captain, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who was actually not involved in the weekend's football. So maybe slightly odd that we're starting with him. He was dropped for the game against Southampton because of a disciplinary breach, according to his manager, Mikel Arteta. He was expected to play, but he wasn't in the squad. Uh, reports are that he returned late from an authorised trip abroad, but it isn't the first time. Back in March, he also missed their win against Tottenham due to a breach of pre-match protocol, which I think, again, was returning late. Uh, Arteta said, I think we have to be very consistent. We have certain non-negotiables in the team that we have set ourselves as a club. This is poor behaviour, isn't it, Tom, from a captain of a club this size? Absolutely is, Hugh. Um, This weekend, I was at a wedding, which was a joyous, joyous occasion. Ben and Beck, congratulations. And I was taught a new phrase by my new mates, Ken and Dave, who taught me the phrase, to cock a snook which means to openly show contempt for someone. So that, to you, is what I'm going to do right now for Aubameyang. I can't remember the last time he did anything particularly great for Arsenal. I think he's consistently let them down in these scenarios and in others. I don't think he's a particularly brilliant senior pro for that young squad to have around. I'm not sure why he's captain. I'm not sure why he got a new deal. I don't know why he's still there. I think they should be looking to get rid of him fairly soon. Even if you're saying, you know, this is an authorised trip. Arsenal need to move on from these kind of players and these kind of moments and these kind of incidents. You know, it was a great win. And we're talking about a guy who's and should be an experienced pro, should be offering loads to this team. And we're sat here talking about him. And quite frankly, we should be talking about what a brilliant performance it was and the great goals they scored. Odegaard looking good again. And it's, it's just a massive letdown. And it's such a shame for Mikel Arteta to be having to talk about him yeah, as an, as an issue again. They need to get rid, start again and move on. Fair play to, uh, for, uh, to Arteta, though, for not 
protecting him. He could easily have said, "Oh, he's got a back strain. He can't. He's not available this week." But, but do you not think that, James? Do you not think that's symbolic of how tired he is of having to deal with him but, but as I, an issue? But I think that's good. I think that's. I think that's um, drawn a line in the sand. And I think it's. I think he's he's laid down a marker now, and and, it, and he's made it clear to the to the the younger players in the squad who he wants to build the team around that um, that, that behaviour is completely unacceptable. Um, it is frustrating. It's, well, it's frustrating and funny looking at Arsenal really because they sort of they go in cycles like this. They 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 got very sort of scared about losing Sanchez and Özil, so they when they lost Sanchez, they threw all the money at Özil. And then a couple of years later, they're in exactly the same position with the Bamiyang. And and you know, fair play to Arteta. I think he is now thinking, let's cut our losses and try and 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 try and go in a different direction. Do you think they're a better team without him, Alison? Well, they statistics show that they are. And also, there's something slightly dispiriting about watching Arsenal with their very expensive striker who often misses easy, relatively easy chances. So you think. Ooh, that's a bit odd, isn't it? Why is he playing? He's not in good form. The problem with Arsenal and their captains is hilarious. They just seem unable. They seem to pick exactly the wrong person to be captain. I mean, you know, do a lineup, all the all the um, attributes you need to be a good captain, and pick the one, the person who has none of them. That would seem to be what they do at Arsenal. This stems partly, I think, from when Arteta came in as manager. Do you remember there was a big debate over whether he was too mate, too young and too matey with the players? Um, mm. Not all of them um, called him boss. And I think Aubameyang was one of those who called him Mickey or Mike or something. And um, Arteta was saying, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, but it does matter, doesn't it? You have to have a real strong sense of authority as a, to run a football club. And that's what the manager's doing. And also, when Arteta... It's all very conflicting and confusing because Arteta came in and the most oppressive thing about his weeks and months was that he, he vowed to rid the club of its lack of discipline and lack of professionalism. And yet, he's put faith in a player who seems to be... Um, I think the technical term is taking the piss. I, it's just not on. Maybe this is the moment where it gives Arteta the reason to finally say, well, I'm looking for someone in my mould who has my values, takes this very seriously. If Aubameyang was having a tattoo and that's why he was late, I mean, geez, there are so many good excuses in the world right now. Having a tattoo is not one of them. It's definitely not. I mean... I've obviously gone quite hard about the idea of getting rid of him altogether, but surely he shouldn't be Arsenal captain. Surely. For this team now, with the progress they've shown, what does anyone think Paul Rowan's written this morning about the idea of Aaron Ramsdale being captain? I think that's a bit too soon, and I think that won't suit his personality. Aaron Ramsdale needs to be Aaron Ramsdale, the bit of the joker in the pack, the guy who winds up the opposition fans. But I don't know. I was I was partly wondering whether Arteta could kind of form a bit of a younger group of younger captains, Kieran Tierney, Ramsdale could be one of them if he wants, you know, a bit more of a modern approach rather than this figurehead captaincy type thing of the old guy and a young team gets the captain's armband. Why not? Why not pick a group of these younger players who he believes in? Yeah, I, I, I was going to say Tierney as soon as you said who should be the next Arsenal captain. Uh, I also think Saka. I think I think there's. I've heard people argue that your captain should be your best player, the first name on the team sheet. And um, I think Gareth Southgate takes that approach with England and, and Harry Kane. Kane doesn't sort of seem the most uh, obvious captain. He doesn't seem the kind of most vocal player on the pitch. He's not kind of in a position, you know, you, don't, you rarely get 
striker captains. But I do think if you, you should you should pick your captain as the player you're going to build the team around. And someone like Saka, um, he, he was brilliant in the summer. Um, he showed he's completely ready for this level, and he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, a real rising star. Give him that responsibility and and send a message to the players like Aubameyang who don't want to be there. No, 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 no. That's silly, James. You're being rather silly there. I mean, the, the role of captain in football has, has I think, accelerated the change of it because of COVID. So when the players were briefed on what it meant to be playing football in uncertain times, the captain had to be the one that listened to the medics talking to them about what was safe and what was unsafe and then go and explain it all to their teammates and every player I've interviewed who's had that position have said they were slightly worried about it they felt a huge weight of responsibility to make sure they understood what was going on and that they couldn't be judgmental in how their teammates reacted to that information I think someone like Saka is far too young to, t- to take on that sort of responsibility it has to be you have to pick someone who's mature intelligent and has that sort of sense slightly slightly older because they have some sense of authority and ability to to sort of work out the needs of of teammates who range from 17 through to 36 so you you, you I just think it would be strange to give it to a young albeit very good player like Saka I think he showed he could cope with responsibility in the Euros and I, I, I completely get where you're coming from in that he that the experience the experience is important when it comes to dealing with those important off the field issues and leading a dressing room but he's he's a, a bright young guy and I think I, I, I think you know maybe okay maybe not now but he but he, he could be a potential future Arsenal captain oh yeah wouldn't, I wouldn't dispute that I just think it's too soon for him. It's too soon for Ramsdale. It's too soon for him. There are some players in the team that I think maybe you should be wearing the armband. Thomas Partey looks like he's going to be there for a few years and he's got a certain level of experience. I, I do think there's a sporting element to it as well. I do think to captain aside, you have to have been through a certain amount that maybe you can lend advice uh, to the other players in the team. I think if they're all too young, it's, you know, it's very difficult. Although we've seen young captains before and we've seen good young captains before, I think this Arsenal squad wouldn't deal well with a young captain because so many of them are inexperienced, if you see what I mean. I think we've had young leaders of experienced squads before who maybe didn't need, that squad didn't need to lend on their captain for that. Maybe it was more they're just, you know, the young player comes through, inspirational performances, lifts the team, fantastic. But I think this Arsenal squad needs a leader who has seen a bit, if you know what I mean. I don't think they've seen much. And that being said, I think, you know, Xhaka and Thomas Partey started at the weekend and Lacazette who I know might be leaving at the end of the season but those are players who I think would be comfortable wearing the armband at this point given the amount of time that they've been at the club and remember Granit Xhaka lost the Arsenal captaincy for probably less than what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang hasn't lost it for at this point in time so I do find it a bit odd because Mikel Arteta did say we need to be consistent and, and really it seems slightly strange but there you go I don't think he stripped Xhaka of the captaincy to be to be fair to him and on the game itself um, even though Arsenal were brilliant as Tom mentioned a little bit earlier on we've got to talk about Southampton being pretty poor I think this has all coincided with Ralph Hasenhutl deciding to change his clothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the moment he went for these slightly left field, let's be honest, Ralph, these these suits, you know, that the whole ethos of Southampton has changed. You know, that they're no longer a tracksuit manager team. 
They're, they're a suit at Southampton. It just doesn't fit. It's very interesting because they play the way that um, Ralph Rangnick wants to get Manchester United playing. And it very much is a tracksuit job trying to drill a team playing 4-2-2-2. They were quite sprightly and getting it right for the first 15 minutes of that game. And they caused Arsenal a lot of problems. And I think what Arsenal actually the credit I'll give to Arsenal is that they just stuck to their guns and they trusted that they could play out from the back and that's how the brilliant team goal happened when I was watching that um, uh, I didn't see the game live I was watching match of the day and when I saw the build up to that goal I didn't know it was going to be the goal and I thought oh my god they're going to lose possession they're going to get they're going to get pickpocketed again and then oh no they've oh they've beaten the press oh they've scored and it was um and it was it was brilliant to see them stick to their guns and it kind of that lost that that cost Southampton a bit of belief I think after that um I also think Hassan Hootel uh, I don't think it will have gone down in the dressing room very well him calling out McCarthy the goalkeeper um last week and I think I fear for Hassan Hootel because Southampton are one of the only teams down there who haven't made a change yet they're not quite good enough to play the way he wants them to play and I just I, I do I do fear that they might make a change I do I, I really like him as a manager and I think his his style is brilliant um, not maybe not sartorially the way he wants the team to play is, is brilliant but well, just don't think believe, he- believe me I think he's thinking of a move you know elsewhere which mm. is why he's started to wear the suit you know he wants to be thought of as one of the mm. firstly sartorial champions of the league <laughs> but maybe even a future champion as a coach I, I, I'll be honest with you I think that's what it's all about he's playing psychology with ownership groups up and down world football frankly um, but the results haven't been good enough at Southampton and you raise a really good point about whether they would make a change no win in the last five w- what do you think Tom? I don't know. It's a strange one with Harsen Hootel, isn't it? He's the guy who's gone through 9-0 defeats and still survived when at other clubs it probably wouldn't have lasted that long. And they, they peak and trough quite a lot, Southampton, don't they? And I just look at the squad at the minute. I think Adam Armstrong has shown promise for a striker coming up from the Championship into the Premier League, having to replace someone like Danny Ings. I think he looked good at the start of the season. Constantly reference and think about Liveramento at right back being a young right back and all the hype and the praise he's rightly got and I think whether it's that great a thing for the team as a whole that he is the best thing about their season so far a 19 year old right back you need a little bit more than that I, I, I don't see I don't see them getting rid of him I don't see them getting rid of the manager I think they'll be okay maybe there's a little bit of a comparison with the Aston Villa situation except without the ambition and the money that Villa have got and so they might just be okay not plodding through the season but yeah peaking and troughing through the rest of the season and maybe finishing 15th or 16th and they'll be fine and who knows whether he'll be back in t-shirts and tracky bottoms come May but yeah I'm with, I'm with you the, the new the new look's not great or Lederhosen <laughs> it has looked that way you know a certain you know whatever Bavarian style if you want to call it that <laughs> at times look Ralph you know whatever you're into I agree with James though I think that the heart of the problem is he doesn't have the players for the system he wants to play now you can either say well good on him for having a purist approach and um, principles and believing in a a way of working and sometimes this is the weird thing about Southampton sometimes it clicks and you think oh they're a really good team Southampton I keep forgetting what a good team Southampton are 
but they'd just not quite got the personnel for it to click regularly enough. Or So you, the flip side of that is you could say, Ralph, Ralph, why aren't you being a bit more pragmatic? I mean, there's some games they should go into and just be just very um, up and down defensive, know what they know, know that they're, you know, man for man, they're not going to win it. But he, he, he sends them out as if they could win any match. And that's why you get something like a nine nil because there's, mm. <laughs> there's no adaptation. So I'm, I'm split between liking his purism and then part of me thinks, but isn't the point of a manager to work with what you've got we will see exactly how Southampton do this weekend Tom's predictions of where they're going to be maybe not music to your ears so apologies for that Saints fans maybe things will start looking up very soon let's move on to one of Hasenhutl's inspirations if you like in coaching Ralph Rangnick who Alison mentioned just there Cristiano Ronaldo's penalty earning his Manchester United side a very narrow victory over Norwich he still is unbeaten in the three games Ralph Rangnick since coming in as the interim boss Ronaldo was hauled down by Max Ahrens. That was a penalty. We'll be talking about penalties specifically a little bit later on. But I have to say, there were some truly awful performances from Manchester United on the day. David De Gea was given the man of the match, which I thought was a bit harsh on Billy Gilmore of Norwich. Um, Now, subsequently, it might be that some of the players were carrying the effects of COVID-19, but it definitely seemed to me like Rangnick is is going to have to go backwards before he goes forwards with this Manchester United squad, just adapting to how he wants to play. Do you think we should expect more of this, Alison? God, you're making me think they're all going into hypnotherapy and being, you know, (laughs) having to go through the birth and remembering what it was like to exit the womb. (laughs) Uh, There isn't time for that. There really isn't time for that. Actually, this is one of those strange matches where watching it unfold, you start thinking, oh, you know, Norwich really deserves something from this. Oh, they're being bold. They're attacking. Oh, you know, if only they had a, fine, a final ball that was better there. Uh, oh, they're forcing De Gea into some good saves. It's all Norwich. But if you look at the stats, the stats tell a different story. Um, on almost every criteria, Manchester United were superior, superior passing and so on. It's just that there's something um, about them as a whole the sum of their parts just isn't very compelling at all that's all you need at at United at the moment is for the the new manager to be pretty swift about stamping his style on them and making them feel like a unit and they're still not that they are still a collection of individuals some of whom have a good day or a good half hour and some do not and there's always at least one or two that have an appalling day so it is very strange that they seem to rotate the it was Sancho this time, wasn't it? It's just, uh, there's always somebody you think, oh my goodness, why is he wearing a United shirt? You've got to remember that when you're changing the style of a club and you're changing completely the way these players have got to play um, to a new system, it takes time. He's not had any time, really. Uh, it's a handful of training sessions at best and the training session they tried to do yesterday was... Um, severely limited by a COVID outbreak. When Jurgen Klopp came to Liverpool, he didn't hit the ground running in the in the sense that they were they weren't um, they weren't title contenders overnight. They had some brilliant individual performances and matches where everything clicked. They also had matches like the Europa League final where they went into a lead and then completely lost control of the game and I've I've heard people describe it as it was almost 
it was just it was almost chaotic it was like they didn't know what they were doing when they were in the lead they didn't know how to close down games and it took him two or three seasons to properly get that style to the to the point now where they are um, they're, they're, they're one of the best teams in, in world football and that was deliberate recruitment it was getting people uh, players to learn the style and I think Rangnick's got a hectic Christmas period coming up in which they won't have much time at all to drill the players this way. Um, he's then got six months to the, to the end of the season. I think really, if if Man United are going to become a four two 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 Ralph Rangnick team, he needs to be in complete control of this, not just till the end of the season, but further ahead or and they need if it's not going to be him that's going to be the manager long term they're going to need to get a manager in who buys into this philosophy because it sort of feels a bit pointless if they're going to be you know we're going to spend six months to the end of the season getting them playing Ralph Rangnick's way and then they'll bring in an, another manager who says right I now want you to play a completely different way so um, to answer your question straight away Hugh I, I don't think it's a case of going backwards I just think it's they, we're going to need to be really patient with them I think it's not going to I don't think they're going to sort of become a brilliant team overnight. Yeah, but I'm not necessarily saying that they should be a brilliant team, but I could have expected them to limp to a 1-0 win over Norwich with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in charge, to be perfectly honest. And the 1-0 win against Crystal Palace and the draw against Young Boys, you know, it's you, you reflect positively because Rangnick's the new man. Oh, they're unbeaten under Rangnick in three games, but they haven't pulled up any trees. There hasn't seemed to be a seismic shift in, in quality. And he's... At a vastly superior starting point in terms of squad than someone like Klopp was when he when he got to Liverpool. Have they felt more in control of games to you though, watching them? Have you have they felt have they felt in these matches that there's there's less kind of um, yeah they, there's le- there's le- there's less sort of moments of unpredictability in case. Well, I just felt they were less they were less open. It yeah. seemed like they were good. they weren't being played through as easily. But because I because I think that's, that's not that's not what what he got brought to Manchester United no, for. But it's the building blocks straight away. It's that it's it with with Solskjaer they were they were so sort of wildly unpredictable. They they, they might well have beaten that Norwich team five nil, but then they then they'd go and have an absolute shock of the following week somewhere else. Um, whereas I think. What Rangnick seems to have done straight away is kind of addressed one problem, um, but it's going to take time to kind of build the layers of this system. James is absolutely right, Hugh. For me, absolutely spot on, I'm afraid. Sorry, I don't want to fall out with you, <laughs> as, as I often do. But James said something very interesting. He said, change the style of a club. And I don't know whether he meant it or whether he meant change the style of a team, but I'm going to give him the credit that he did mean it because that is what Rangnick is doing. And you have to give him time. Alison's talking about not having time. There isn't time for that. They're a point off fourth. I think there is time because you have to give him time. We talked about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and James referenced it there being a triumphal disaster manager. And the club can either embody that right now with Ranić, and it can be a triumph, but if they give him time. Because otherwise, as James hinted at then, it will be a disaster to give a guy with such a clear vision, such a clear philosophy of how he wants to run a football club, run a team, give him six months and then hire someone else. That is a disaster because it's a complete waste of everyone's time and they're not progressing anywhere. I'm going to give Man United the credit that this appointment feels like that kind of building blocks appointment, an overarching vision for where the club want to go. If not, it's a complete waste of everyone's time. I think there is a little bit of improvement, but we've talked about it before. If you you look at Ranić's career, he references his time at Hoffenheim, at the Red Bull clubs, he talks about their seasons 
And this is when he'd had a full season and a summer to prepare, not being parachuted in halfway through. And he always says, we started poorly. We started poorly and the press got on our backs and said, Ralph's an idiot, blah, 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 blah. And then by the end, by six months in, they were flying. I think he needs the time and it can be great. Otherwise, what is the point? Well, we'll see if these uh, performances improve in six months or in one month or in one week. I think let's give him, let's let's yeah. return to this and you can, you know, producer John can clip this up and if he's being beaten 2-1 by someone in April, <laughs> then, then you can come back at me and say, ha, idiot, Tom, I knew it. <laughs> but I'm saying give him time and I think it can be great. I did want to talk about Billy Gilmore. Like I say, he had a fantastic performance. I, I actually think he's in the wrong place right now. Very difficult to see him uh, really developing in that Norwich side bottom of the table, of course, at the moment. Connor Gallagher, though, was starring in the game against Everton for Crystal Palace. He scored a couple of goals in that match. Both of them were on loan from Chelsea, who scraped past Leeds. We'll talk about their penalties a little bit later on as well. The question on Connor Gallagher and Billy Gilmore is whether they should get a chance at Chelsea, be it next season. Well, Billy Gilmore won't. Billy Gilmore's been there and he's been there, tried it, gone. So that's that. Whereas Conor Gallagher is forging his reputation somewhere else. The trouble is he's forging a reputation at a club which, where he's allowed to be uh, a superhero. So he covers a lot of ground. He plays everywhere, turns up everywhere, scores fantastic goals, but gets stuck in with the tackling. He's a slightly random puppy dog type of player and Chelsea don't play that way so it's like if they didn't already own him they wouldn't be considering him that's the point but they, I mean it sounds fantastic that they do own him because they their academy is just like super amazing that's why you've got to be you've got to be sort of level-headed and that's how you've got to look at it if, if Chelsea had nothing to do with Conor Gallagher he'd come through the Palace Academy would everyone at Chelsea be saying we want to sign Conor Gallagher he fits Tuchel system, if it's our system, no, they wouldn't. It's only because he's one of theirs that they're thinking we should find a way to shoehorn him in. And I don't know how they do that. And I don't think he's so amazing that they would fiddle with the formation and the approach. I mean, the the the, the double six that, that that Tuchel's brought in is a very disciplined system. It doesn't allow for the randomness of Conor Gallagher, and I wouldn't want to coach that out of him either. I think he that's what makes him wonderful to watch is his during do and his go everywhere be everyone do everything but Chelsea are too disciplined for that Alison's right he's been brilliant to watch this season hasn't he he's been one of the stars of the season without doubt but we talked about him before and this kind of debate about all these players that Chelsea have I think he's going to be a 30 million pound transfer for someone else from Chelsea in a similar way to Kurt Zuma. he's had those loan moves um, to other clubs he's progressing through the ranks you know, he was in the championship. Now he's showing he can do it in the Premier League. But he's not a top three level player yet. Maybe he'll prove us wrong. But I don't think... You don't also get that time. We talked about time at well, Manchester United. You don't get that time at Chelsea, do you? Ruben you know? Loftus-Cheek's got that time at Chelsea. Yeah, but he's not. Callum Hudson-Doy, still there. Yeah, but they're still there. But ultimately, they're not. They're squad players. He could go and they, be a... They've squ- been given a chance to play for Chelsea. He could go and be a squad player if he wants. And what a great shame that would be because we won't see those kind of Roy of the Rovers type performances that he's putting in for Crystal Palace at the moment, like Alison said. And that would be great if he could go and do that somewhere else. Or maybe at Palace. Maybe he could stay at Palace. But he's not. he won't get in the Chelsea team, I don't think. Either of them ever getting in that Chelsea team? I like Gilmore. I think he's a really good player. 
I think I think long term he probably does have a future at Chelsea, but I think it's I think I think he might have to go somewhere else next season. And whether it's another, whether it is another loan or whether it's a um, a buyback or something like that. I don't know. I don't. I mean, how many players actually do get bought back? Um, that's another. That's another question. I think on. I think on Loftus Cheek. I think. I think Loftus Cheek is 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 getting the chance because we, we've forgotten how good he was. I, I think. I think like he 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 was one of the most exciting midfielders. I thought when he got that chance at the World Cup in 2018. Um, and he the thing that the thing I I remember from him at that World Cup was him coming off the bench in the Tunisia game, being tenacious, winning the ball high up the pitch and winning the corner from which England ultimately scored the winner. And it's kind of, that's kind of etched on my memory as as a player that is so useful to a team. Um, and I think Tuchel, who is quite, quite pragmatic in the way that his Chelsea team play, he sees a guy who can fit the system and do, and do the job. I agree with you, Alison. I think it'd be too early to take someone like Gallagher and, and sort of remove all the brilliant Roy the Rovers stuff and 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 try and sort of coach him into that system. But I do think there is a way, you know, pl- a player like Mason Mount, who is such a mercurial talent um, and can do amazing things with the football, I think there could be a, a role for Gallagher at Chelsea at some point. Just I, I don't think next season is is the the right time for him. But Loftus Cheek won't be regularly playing when you've got Kovacic, Kante, and Jorginho all at full fitness. He won't be. No, and he might well, and he might he you know he he might well have to leave as well if he feels he after this season he's not going to get he's not getting first team football. But I think it, there are the, the, there's only the, the, there's there's only a limited number of of places and I think there are places for squad players and I think it's 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 up to the player it's up to what they see themselves and what they want to be and I think I'm I'm pleased to see Loftus Cheek getting an opportunity and seizing it and and playing well and uh, and 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 playing in that double six role really well that was just thrown in there didn't warn you about that just wondered what you thought about those two players I, I, I'd look I'd give them a chance to be perfectly honest whether that is as squad players for a season to see how much they can contribute to see how much they improve with the coaching of Tuchel I think in particular Conor Gallagher hasn't really worked with him at all and so you think what more, I mean, how much better could he be, you know, in that really rigid discipline system of Chelsea? It might bring out a different element to his game. These are young players. But anyway, you know, just throwing that in there. Wonder what you think. Let us know. Up next, we're going to focus in on the number of penalties given this weekend in the Premier League, including three of them at Stamford Bridge. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate us, leave us a review. And of course, make sure you're subscribed. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. 
BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Eight penalties were awarded in nine Premier League matches this weekend. That's the most so far this season. Uh, having seen James Madison earn a penalty for Leicester against Newcastle, Graham Souness proclaimed football is doomed. Whether you agree or not, there was a certain level of inconsistency that left many of us scratching our heads. Uh, the former Premier League referee Peter Walton has given his verdict on each in today's time, so make sure you check it out. And because of that, we are all going to play pen or no pen I will begin with a game at Anfield between Liverpool and Aston Villa Um, I'm not going to ask you on this one Alison Salah versus Mings pen or no pen disgraceful (laughs) (laughs) well look Mo Salah is probably the best player in the world right now but let's be honest when it comes to pen or no pen he has a different category all of his own and the answer is always pen so Hmm. uh, I think it was very soft I'm going to really? Say, I, yeah, I, I just it, it's not the softest of the decisions we're going to talk about right now, but I'm going to go like right on the fence of this one and say just 51% to 49 a penalty. James? Um, by the letter of the law, as it is now, depressingly, it's a pen. If if I was refereeing the game, um, and I'm and I'm I'm not a qualified referee, and um, uh, they wouldn't let me referee because I wouldn't I wouldn't referee it to the way that the rules should be interpreted these days. But I mean, he he just buys the contact. But that's but that's that's the thing, you know. We that's it. Now we we're, referees are supposed to, to are supposed to be a little bit stricter when it comes to buying contact. Um, we're told, but um, it, it, it it's a pen. It's it's a pen by by um by football twenty twenty one twenty two by the letter of the law it's a pen and that's so uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a penalty. I just thought it was a very clumsy challenge from Mings. To be perfectly honest, the only thing that I dislike is when two feet basically hit each other like they yeah. can, they connect at the same time side to side. It wasn't like the feet were entwined, but at the same time Mings then goes on to basically fall on Salah and you're like, well, that that's so clumsy. You're always going to give a penalty away in that situation. But who is the player you would least like to have to mark in the mm. whole world right now? Mm. It's Mo Salah. Yeah. Doesn't mean he should get a penalty all the time. Though. We can discuss that on another episode of the Game Podcast. <laughs> At number two, Alonso versus James, Chelsea versus Leeds. Penalty or not, Tom? Penalty for me. Comfortable? Yeah. Just go. I'm going to make it quick. Penalty. J- James? Yeah. Pen. Allison? Ping. Pen. Number three, Rafinha versus Rudiger in Chelsea versus Leeds. Tom? No pen. Really made me angry. Don't like the justification of. I like Peter Walton. He's a lovely chap whenever I've spoken to him. I don't like his justification in the Times today. About, Which is? You know, just talking about players having to, you know, make it clean and all this stuff. We're going to get to a point where you're going to slide into a tackle and have to take the ball and then quickly continue sliding through before you hit the opponent in any way. It was a, it was a, it was a good tackle. Yes, he took the man, takes the ball, no pen. 
didn't even think it was that reckless a challenge, to be honest. Um, no, that's the other you know, point as well. It wasn't a dive. Yeah. He didn't jump in on him or anything no. like that. It was kind of like a little controlled swipe along the floor. Yeah, it's um, uh, no pen for me. I think it's a clean sweep of nose. Okay, right. I thought that one could have easily been given as a penalty. Again, I just thought there was a little, there's an element of clumsiness to it, even though he touched the ball. I'm just saying, maybe that was a 51% for me anyway. Click versus Rudiger in Chelsea versus Leeds. The third penalty given in that match, Tom. Pen just what? stupid, but I mean, but that was because he came through You're the so back. Inconsistent. No, he came through the back of him and took him out before taking the ball. Rafinha takes the ball and the man to collectively as part of the tackle. This was like a foul from behind that was in the clumsy bracket for me. I put that in clumsy, not Rafinha. It's a pen, but I'd refer you to what Tony Cascarino's written in the Times today that it it did the, the fundamental. Um, uh, the, the the fundamental problem with penalties is that something like that from which it's very unlikely a goal is going to be scored that seems quite an innocuous challenge in the top corner of the box leads to um, someone getting a free shot from 12 yards but it's a penalty but um, <laughs> I'd refer you to what Tony's written yeah no I mean it, it, uh, um, spiritually morally um, and all other <laughs> odd words it, it didn't feel like a penalty but I, I can see why it was not a penalty for me <laughs> yeah. oh we can see who's soft, being Mr Contrarian today as as far as I'm concerned <laughs> to be perfectly honest I mean what is that I mean that's a centre back as well the, the, the thing about penalties for me is I think they need to be earned in a way that I mean it has to be a clear foul in my opinion like you have to be fouled not touched you have to be fouled like fouled do you know what I mean? It doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Like that you ha- like, did you foul that person? Did you actually did you actually take them off their feet? Or did you actually do a thing that really stopped them from playing the game where you'd say, that is a foul? And we don't do that anymore. We're just like, oh, you got touched. There's a, so there's it's a, a pen. There's a reason why in 1992 there was a penalty every five games and it's now a penalty every three games. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. At number five, Max Ahrens versus Cristiano Ronaldo in Norwich versus Manchester United. A pen. Pulls him back. Yeah, I agree with that. I didn't really see the pull. I saw the act it's kind of, of arm someone. on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, but is that a pull? That's a touch. What I would say again is on, on the point that I just made. Max Aaron's does pull a little bit on yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo. He was then slammed into the ground like the Undertaker, <laughs> just lifted him above his head and threw him through the WWE ring. It's like that's what I mean. Like players, the force that he goes down with. It's like, well, where did that come from? You, you you have to be fouled. You you can't just foul yourself in effect. Yes. <laughs> well, it's true. Yes. I mean it's like it's tantamount to a dive, basically. So but you're coming you know you're to... coming back to the Patrick Bamford argument from the end of last season, I think, when he went over when he didn't go over in the box, when he was fouled at least once, maybe twice. I think it was against Southampton. And he turned to the referee and said, Do you want me to dive? Do you want me to dive? And a lot of these incidents you're talking about is players exaggerating the foul and exaggerating the fall. With that, with this one, I think when you've got Cristiano Ronaldo hurtling into the box to try and get on the end of a cross and someone tugs the shoulder in the same way as Mo Salah sprinting into the box and someone clips a heel, that can be factored in as well in terms of... It shouldn't be, though. It causing, it causing a foul and stopping them from continuing their attacking pursuit. Uh, game's gone, frankly. Game's <laughs> Especially with the next one, Matinho versus the ball in Manchester City versus Wolves. Yeah, no pen for me. But I mean, we're at TV angles and letters of the law again, aren't we? But not a pen for me. It's a complete and utter disgrace, that decision. 
in it, it, it's it, it's one of these many decisions where literally what is the point of VAR if if it doesn't have access to all the angles that can show that something clearly wasn't a handball um yeah I, I won't say anymore I was there I was at the Etihad for that one and even the fans the Man City fans didn't think it was a penalty and everybody in the press box thought it was going to be deemed after a VAR review as not a penalty and, and people were even saying before the result was shown well this is this is why VAR's a good thing did, did John Moss go and have a look at it no I wonder what would have happened if he'd <laughs> if he'd gone and had a look I mean that, but that's the other thing is that at least go and have another look I, 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 yeah I, but I've said that on so many you know there was part of me that said at the start I think we've said it on the podcast before. I, I, I did argue at a point, if it's a penalty decision, just go straight over. Mm. While they're reviewing it at Stockley mm. Park, there's no harm in you having yeah. a look at what they're looking at mm. just so we get the right decision for a penalty and a straight red card, I said before as well. You know, they just sort of go, a ref gives out but a straight red But why is he going to look at it? He, he gave it and VAR's agreed with him. So it's like, well... But VAR didn't, and this is the thing that I mean, VAR it didn't agree with him. They just didn't disagree with him. They said, like, we haven't seen anything that would make us disagree with you. But that doesn't mean that we agree with you. Do you see what I mean? It's just like we haven't found any evidence to say that you're wrong. Well, they haven't said that. Oh, we them, think you'd... But that's not the same you, as saying, you know what, you're right, you made the right decision there. It's, it's a different thing. But it's not the same as someone saying in his ear, oh, you might want to have a look at that. Well, and, well, and, and, and what's the harm? Yeah, they took long enough to look at it. Why not just jog over and have a look at the screen? I think the, the problem here is that how how can match of the day find the angle that and I know they've got a bit more time but 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 I would no, but why I, I, can't I, they have why can't they have I, access I was, to all I, the broadcast I, I, angles I watched the game live mm. I mean there were enough angles on the replay on yeah. BT Sport for everyone in the pub to say mm. that's not a penalty mm. so I don't know what they were watching at VA, uh, at Stockley Park excuse me um, anyway let's move on Truce de Kong versus Godos Brentford versus Watford on Friday night pen or no pen Tom uh, pen pen it was a long time ago now but I remember thinking that's a penalty <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I thought it was a pen but I do I do think Godos went down very cleverly here. But is that our first full house? That's well, four, four yeses, isn't it? Yeah. By the time he went down or got touched, he was, he was, he was, it was like a tree in the forest. He'd been. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, LaSalle versus Madison. This one caused controversy. Leicester versus Newcastle. Tom, I really wish it wasn't a penalty, to be honest, because I think that's far less of a foul than the previous one. Just, just fifty point two percent. I refer you to my previous answer about Mr. Salah. I don't think they're that comparable. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yay! I think this is clearly not a penalty. I agree with you. It clearly was not a penalty. Um, this is one of the ones where they... Because sometimes what happens with penalties is you, you, there's so much focus on the attacker and whether there was contact on the attacker, that you watch the blue sock or you watch the attacking player and you're not actually watching the defender. And if you just watch Jamal Lassell, he hasn't fouled James Madison. Yeah, fine, you've convinced me. I'm no... No, but he just... He doesn't, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't move his foot towards James Madison. He doesn't... Like I say, you have to be fouled. You know, the, mm. the contact is one thing, but he wasn't fouled by Lassell. Mm. There was contact and then he went to the ground. Yeah, fine, I agree with all of that. But was he fouled by Lassell? The answer, in my opinion, was no. I should be doing VAR. Anyway, uh, the final one is not a penalty. We've done all eight penalties. It was a non-penalty. I've only chosen one. 
Dwight McNeil on Craig Dawson in the Burnley versus West Ham game. Do you think that was a penalty, Tom? I started this round prepared to say that it was a penalty because I think the actual contact is more significant some than some of the others. But then I think factoring in what Dawson was trying to do in terms of, you know, not he wasn't running into the box with the ball. It was a kind of one of those shepherding out moments. No penalty. Uh, I, I agree completely with that, Tom. I, I I I think it wasn't a penalty. I wouldn't agree so wholeheartedly, James. I'm no. very very on the fence. No, but I, no, <laughs> no. But had you not said, had you had you not spoken first, I would have said no penalty for the reasons that you said no penalty. Uh, oh, well, we're all suddenly getting on very well. I agree completely. Yes, I agree. No penalty. There's a lot of these in football, and these are ones that I hate because I think players can reasonably be expected to think that other players will also go for the ball, mm. and I hate where, that with there's a challenge where, for example, this happened a lot with Harry Kane's. You know, Harry Kane used to almost jump into the player mm. jumping for the header. And then everyone would say, oh, he's clattered Harry Kane. It's like, yeah, but he went for the ball, which is four feet in that direction. And he would have reasonably, reasonably expected that Harry Kane was also going to do that, not come towards him to basically challenge him and initiate contact. And I think that's what Craig Dawson did. He actually jumped into McNeil when he saw that he was going to try and clear the ball. And, and I think McNeil would have reasonably expected that he would have gone towards the ball instead of towards him. And in fact, the contact was initiated by Dawson, in my opinion. Anyway, that is um, my pitch to be VAR next season. <laughs> Hopefully it's going to be paying well. Loads more to come very quickly. We haven't got too much left. We're going to talk about the Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, we're also going to talk about silly red cards. That's next on the game. Civil war and cholera should prevent Cameroon hosting the Africa Cup of Nations. That's the headline, Alison, on your article in The Times on the Africa Cup of Nations, which should be coming up in January. Very self-explanatory title there. In more detail, though, why have you written it and what do you think should happen with the Africa Cup of Nations? Well, I just slightly startled that you mentioned the African Cup of Nations generally when you're talking about footy and people think about, oh, what players are we going to be having to take out of our fantasy team and how will Liverpool cope without Mo Salah and Sadio Mane? And it's all quite self-absorbed, really. And then maybe you might feel a bit self-conscious about that, a bit patronising, and then think, no, no, actually, no, I'm going to get into the Africa Cup of Nations and uh, maybe I'll make myself a little wall chart, go for it. But the big question is, why on earth is it being held in Cameroon? It's got an outbreak of cholera. There are problems with COVID there. And there is a civil war, which has been going on for four or five years now. And... It's a very sad story because it all started with very peaceful protests from the 20% or so English-speaking people of Cameroon who felt they were discriminated against and the language wasn't um, given due status in places like universities and so on. But the government doesn't like protests and it escalated. And now you have you, you have a nation where there are bomb attacks, there have been children killed in crossfire. It's uh, Both sides are uh, not behaving properly there's allegations of torture there is genuine concern that the tournament will be used to create chaos and possibly loss of life with bomb, maybe bomb attacks at stadiums and so on so you've got the question of are the players going to be safe I don't think that can be guaranteed are the fans going to be safe nope don't think that can be guaranteed anyone using the tournament to protest will they be safe probably not and then you've got cholera and Covid so it just seems 
utterly ludicrous that when we mention the African Cup of Nations, we just think about oh, which players are going to be missing for how long. Actually, should should it be happening at all in Cameroon? And the answer, I think, on balance should be no. And yet none of the people in charge seem to think that because it, there's already been a postponement. They just want it to, for it to happen. I just feel if this was all much closer to home, we would be appalled. In that context I'm astonished it's going ahead I, I must admit Alison it was your column that sort of made me more aware of the issues going on there I, 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 I wasn't completely aware of the context surrounding this uh, this tournament and I think I do th- I do think there is a more global concern with the Omicron variant as well and a, and a, and a bigger question about whether having tournaments at the moment in places where the vaccine uptake may not be the highest or whether COVID security can be guaranteed. I think that's another question as well. Where at this short notice you'd move it to is another question, whether it would have to be postponed a year or or, or, mm. or, or this edition be cancelled altogether. I mean, it's, 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 very, it's a very difficult mm. one. I, 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 don't, I don't know what the answer would be to that, to be honest. I mean, I, I wrote down two alternatives that came to mind immediately as... Qatar, who were just trialling all their stadia mm. very recently, last week or the week before, and, and holding big events. I don't think you need a crowd if it's obviously moved continent, but just if you desperately want to get the games played, you know, maybe Qatar could do something good for world football and uh, and, and host the tournament. I also think that they would, I think, be able to get a decent level of um, testing in place. And we know their rates aren't particularly bad when it comes to COVID, but I think they might be able to hold the event. I did say somewhere in Europe, but then I thought, where? Mm. you know where in Europe many of the players are obviously in Europe already so for me it would it, well, but then you think with, where? with leagues going on as well it's very difficult to sort of st- secure individual venues that will have matches well, playing at, this is the thing if it's, it's behind closed doors then I think you can do it because obviously we, we already know what stadia are not going to be used each weekend and in midweek because obviously it's an international tournament so there'll be games every few days so I don't think that's the biggest issue depends on what, what country obviously but I think there are a number of you know, for example France and, and much of Africa has a relationship if you want to call it that you know could many of the obviously players already playing in France that would be in AFCON stay in France and they use Stadia there for example but again Omicron then crops up and you don't exactly know whether it would be politically seen as a positive thing to do so I also wonder about the rest of Africa whether it would be a possibility to hold it elsewhere in Africa is that possibility that's not been um they've Qatar has been raised as a possibility Mm. that's the only Alternative, But there doesn't seem to be a political will to do that. The only uplifting thing from it is that if you, as James pointed out, it's only because there's football tournament going on that a lot of people are even aware. I didn't know anything about the politics of Cameroon. The only reason I know is because there's a football tournament going on there. And football can raise awareness of problems because people look at a part of the world they're ignorant about and and want to know more and so it shines a light on a situation so maybe that in itself could be a good unification type thing and it reminded me and I mentioned this in the article it was a lovely way to remember what Didier Drogba did when his nation Ivory Coast qualified for the first time for, for the World Cup he used that moment to call for civil war to end in his country and he didn't solve it civil war returned but they had five years of relative peace because he used his country's success in football to say 
doesn't this make you feel like you're part of one country? Can't we put our guns down? And they literally did. In one stadium that was in a rebel stronghold, the army and the protesters, instead of fighting, they um, they sang songs. It can happen. I think we should follow this. I'm sure you will follow this um, to see exactly how things pan out. And I'm sure we'll come back to it on the podcast very, very soon. Um, before we go, we're going to end with something a little bit less serious, a little bit more silly. In particular, Alison, your trip to the Etihad Stadium. No, no, that wasn't the silly thing. <laughs> Raul, Raul Jimenez's red card, of course, uh, for Wolves. He got booked for a tackle and then basically from the resulting free kick got booked for standing about five yards away as it was taken and, ba- and deliberately blocking it. It wasn't even like it just hit him. He stuck his leg out and blocked it. What was he thinking and where does it rank amongst the silliest dreads you've seen? <laughs> well, I think what well, to t- tell you what he was thinking was he wasn't thinking. He was still, for him, it was all still part of the same act. He was still being petulant from the... Because he shouldn't have been booked. It wasn't a, a, a yellow card offence. It was a foul, free kick, end of. So he was seething about that and still seething when he blocked the subsequent free kick. So he was probably really shocked that you, that, that that was allowed to happen. He probably felt it was all part of the same thing. Uh, the silliest red I've ever seen is the red beach ball that came onto the pitch <laughs> when Liverpool played Sunderland in oh god it was a long time ago now 2009 something like that and then the goal was given and I think I'd just finished my referee course so I was sort of stomping around going how can a proper referee not know that you have to stop the game when there's a foreign object on the pitch this is disgraceful James silliest Um, stupidest maybe I've got two um, one which I saw and one which I didn't see but I remember and it's always etched on my memory the first one was I went to watch the National League playoff final in 2018 between Borehamwood and Tranmere and Tranmere had a player sent off after 40 seconds and it was um, it was one of those brilliant I'm playing at Wembley in a playoff final and he just went in far too hard on a player straight red came out and Tranmere won 2-1 which was brilliant they played the entire match with with 10 men and, and, and won the game it's brilliant the, the one that um, I will always remember uh, is there was a Swansea player called Walter Boyd who was sent off before actually being brought on as a sub because he got involved in a brawl as he was being brought on as a sub so officially didn't play a single minute before getting his red card which was fantastic feels a little bit like I'm trying to needle Alisson and all Liverpool fans today but I'm going to go for Steven Gerrard against Manchester United for Liverpool 30 seconds after coming on steams into I think it was Ander Herrera could have broken his leg so as well as being stupid it was also pretty dangerous and I'm picking it I must confess slightly because I was working at another newspaper at the time and the reporter from the game sent his match report and the intro, rather than being about Steven Gerrard, you stupid idiot, you cost your team, you once great legend, blah, blah, blah. He compared it to Dylan Thomas' poem, sometimes you can fight too hard against the dying of the light, blah, 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 blah. What a load of nonsense. (laughs) And it still, still to this day winds me up. That challenge that could have broken a player's leg that cost his team and was incredibly irresponsible and stupid wasn't highlighted and was you know dressed up as a bit of poetry you what a load of crap. you still put the headline gone in 38 seconds on it didn't you know I, I don't know i think i stormed out went and get, <laughs> went to get a cup of tea from the canteen so angry was i at reading this reading this copy i am honestly watching the most incredible silliest red card ever who was sent to us i tweeted about this Mario Gudrowski in the Thai Super League. What a celebration. Scores a beautiful chip, okay? 
pulls off his shorts, puts them on his head, and then thrusts in his wife fronts in front of the fans and gets a straight red card. It's sensational, actually. So make sure you check that out. That is on YouTube. Um, a few other ones got sent in. I've got to thank Jamie Weir of Sky Sports. He says the only correct answer, David Healy, Wales versus Northern Ireland in 2004. Two yellow cards, 20 seconds apart, both for celebrating. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, that's it. We've had the, the usuals. RVP versus Barcelona. Beckham against Argentina. Uh, Joey Barton for QPR against Manchester City as well as some of the silliest red cards. And we could have gone on, including our producer, John, who said his dog got sent off because he attacked the referee with affection. <laughs> Do you want to tell us that story, John? Uh, yeah, I was 14 playing for Ledbury Swifts in Herefordshire. Okay. And my dad, unfortunately, uh, is one of these believers that his dog is the best behaved dog in the world but the dog was not the best behaved dog in the world and it just ran out of the car straight onto the pitch and um, the referee claimed it attacked him because it's quite a big dog and it just jumped up and tried to lick him and he physically got a red card he actually red carded the dog and my dad had to march onto the pitch and then put him back in the car oh. we lost like 20 nil that day as well <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible I was in goal great you were in busy, goal as well busy day for me yeah <laughs> brilliant brilliant cheers John um, so that is the silly red cards I think Raul Jimenez needs a, an apology to his teammates after that one as well uh, thank you for listening thank you Alison Rudd James Restall and Tom Clark for being with me for the past hour or so remember make sure you're subscribed to the Times and Sunday Times you'll get more of our award winning journalism and if you sign up today you will get yourself one month free so go online check it out it's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 